Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents Hometown Haunts, the podcast. This is episode 17, where we're talking about the Moselle and the ghost ship of Petersburg. But for right now, we have social media. You can follow us at Sin Cabinet Curio on Twitter, Cincy Cabinet of Curiosities on Instagram, and you can always email us your ghost stories and urban legends at cincycuriosities at gmail.com. If you didn't know, we're an official podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes at Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities. Please rate and review us there and on YouTube so other spooky lovers like you can find us. Uh, There's links in our show notes. And this week, Christina, you have a weird thing you saw this week. And you're yes. muted. <laughs> yes, I didn't mean to be Um... Yeah, I thought that this uh, this was an article in The Guardian, and I thought it was interesting um, because they said as birth rates fall, there's a lot of ghost towns. Now, it's not just birth rates. In the U.S., I, you know, this kind of is talking more about Europe, but I know in the U.S. you have so many towns because of industry changing and, and stuff like that that are almost ghost towns, like, you know, very little activity happening anymore. And it kind of made me think of, um, like, you know, tw- the movies like you know the uh, 20 you know, the monkeys movie where you see all the animals going through new york you know new oh york planet city. of the apes no 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 not that one um the terry gilliam movie that they did a tv show mm. what not planet of monkeys, the apes <laughs> uh, i thought you were talking monkeys? about the band the monkeys for a second oh, there God. and i'm like that no no no, no. um uh, i don't remember that <laughs> No, no, the Terry Gilliam movie that starred um, um, Bruce Willis. Twelve Monkeys. Twelve Monkeys. That's right. With Twelve Monkeys. Brad Pitt. Yeah, yeah. I was getting too. the number mixed up with Twenty Eight Days Later. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Twelve Monkeys. Uh, remember how it showed that when there were no people living in there, there were animals and stuff, and that's actually mm-hmm. happening to these cities that are no longer um, populated as they're having all, all this resurgence in lynx and wolves and stuff like that. And it's kind of interesting how, uh, and actually even in the pandemic, um, you know, air is getting, air quality is getting better and stuff like that because people aren't going anywhere and causing the damage that they cause. So I thought that was kind of an interesting story. But when I read Isn't that- that where the meme where, everyone's home for the pandemic and the earth is healing came from and it shows Probably. like all sorts of fun juxtaposed things yeah I and mean, it's been a popular trope in movies like where you see lions wandering through new york city when there's no people left and wolves and you know that kind of thing and and this article made me think about it i mean they were attributing it to birth rates falling as well um mm-hmm. abandoned ghost villages but um, you know, in the United States, a lot of it is the reshaping of people leaving small towns because the industry that was there left. Um, you know, in Indiana, that's happened a lot. You've had oh yeah, whole cities that disappeared because of um, losing. You know, the seal industry, like in Ohio, is what made a lot of areas of Ohio abandoned, and the car industry yeah. has. That's what happened to my parents' hometown. It's a shell of its former self what was its industry it was a harbor town on lake erie and they would bring in they would actually load barges full of coal from pittsburgh so when 
the coal industry of course is dying off and that kind of and the steel industry has been dying off so that has shrunk so there aren't as many seafaring boats visiting the the harbor and uh, loading everything so yeah that it's been shrinking for 50 years now mm-hmm. and that's you know the 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 sort of incubator for many urban legends and stuff is seeing ghost towns and places where people used to be you know that people start coming up with fan fiction about what's there or what happened Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so that's that's always exciting but that's the weird thing for this week yeah i love ghost towns they're so cool yeah well they're fun to take photos of it's so great you got pictures (laughs) of that kenner factory before they tore it down i'm so yeah it went down so fast it I really, really wanted to go inside, but one, I didn't want to get arrested, and two, I didn't want to fall and hurt myself because I'm accident prone. <laughs> yeah, those places yeah. are super dangerous when they're abandoned for that long. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But that also reminds me, didn't that happen at Chernobyl with the dogs? Mm-hmm. It also and happened were, at Fukushima, and they were irradi- irradiated. Yes. Poor babies. Yeah. So. <laughs> pretty short life expectancy there i guess yeah but yeah that happened around fukushima in miyagi prefectures up in japan and heck it happened here in cincinnati with the pandemic during the peak of it in like march and april we had a pack of coyotes running around and it would be getting people have security camera footage of the coyotes running around the streets (laughs) like picking off mostly um like ground squirrels squirrels raccoons occasionally getting somebody's cat or yorkie small dogs that weren't supervised outside so yeah there's a lot of there's actually the feral cat population in mount airy uh forest has been severely curtailed by coyotes like people that used to feed the feral cats there's not that many anymore so that's one reason we don't let our cat plus be living on a busy road but we, that's one reason we would never let our cats outside is because mm-hmm. they'd be lunch mm-hmm. there's not even our dogs many. are the size of coyotes so yeah they would they would probably happen. wouldn't have to worry about them but but as a matter of fact we don't even see that many raccoons around anymore in our area of town and i think it's because predators hmm. yeah we also have we used to have great horned owls that lived in the trees across the street i loved them at night but they got chased out by a uh type of falcon oh interesting yeah i can't remember the type it is our my bird watching friend looked at it and went oh that's a blah 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 and i'm like oh cool i'm not gonna remember that and indeed (laughs) i did not well, you know, re- telling stories like this, like I think you had mentioned when we were talking about it, is we can hardly wait to go out and start doing some legend tripping and going to areas and filming, and you know, hopefully that will be possible. Yeah, I miss months. I miss that uh, legend tripping and just going and visiting spooky places around. Um, it's just really hard to get motivated. Today was terrible. Cincinnati right now, it's sleeting out and it's below freezing and just gross it's not even snowing it's just sleet everywhere freezing on everything it's not safe to drive around right now yeah yeah because the ice sometimes makes uh power lines come down too so that makes it very perilous that and trees yes 
So. If it's my toddler, he went face down too. <gasps> oh, is he okay? He's fine. He was just startled. And I'm like, yes, son, this is mother nature happening. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it <laughs> no fun for anyone. Yeah. So Concrete anyway. Face. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Concrete was just shocked. face. Yeah. Yeah. Poor baby. <laughs> All right, uh, so now I guess on to the main topic, which is a really yes. exciting one. This is a fun one. I learned about um, these two boats in different in different times. Uh, the uh, the ghost ship of the Ohio River. I learned about from two friends who are big kayakers, and and then the Moselle. I of course learned from our friend Brandon Wagner. And feel free to chip in with any questions if you have them, ladies. But tonight's topic is uh, the ghost ships of the Ohio River. And our show is all about ghost ships of the Ohio River. The 19, or sorry, who? Wow, no. The 1838 explosion of the steamship Moselle and the abandoned ghost ship of the USS Sachem or Sachem. I am not sure how this is pronounced. <laughs> um, I'm going to pro- probably call it the Sachem. Uh, there is some graphic detail described with the Moselle incident. So listener discretion is advised. And we do have some of the, uh, what is it? The illustrations from the Cincinnati Inquirer. I believe it was called the Cincinnati Whig back in 1838 newspaper. And we will have some safe times in the show notes for you to skip to. If you want to just avoid some graphic detail it's not a lot it's not as bad as other episodes so like i said for tonight's show we're talking about the ghost ghost ships of the ohio and we sourced information from the cincinnati inquirer the cincinnati Whig newspaper the ohio history central gendisasters.com atlas obscura roadtrippers.com wikipedia Cincinnati Refined Magazine, Cincinnati, Kentucky Living Magazine, and Steamboats.org. All the links will be in our show notes. By the I way, Steamboats. Sachem. Sachem. Thank you. That helps a lot. So Sachem. 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 Okay. So we're going to start with the Moselle, actually. <laughs> um, so we're actually touching on a topic we quickly talked about in episode three with our friend Brandon, Brandon Wagner and Brandon, Brandon wrote about the music hall horrors for our comics anthology, Cincinnati cabinets of curiosities issue number one. And part of the beginning of the horrific ghost stories of the Cincinnati music hall actually stem from the Moselle steamboat disaster of 1838. Uh, so if you would like to listen to what happened to the rest of the story, go check out episode three. So this is episode 17. We're doing some timey-wimey stuff, but it will be fun. Uh, we're going to just dive deeper into the steamboat legacy of Cincinnati. Now, Cincinnati was a major stop on the Ohio River during the heyday of steamboats. Uh, we love steamboats in this city. You can take steamboat tours to this day, though they're kind of fitted to be modernized. Uh, we have the USS Nightmare, which is a floating haunted house attraction that's open every October, which is a steamboat. And also the Cincinnati Reds baseball team, their uh, 
is it a, the baseball field along the Ohio River is made to look like a steamboat complete with a little stacks. So we really love them in this city. It's a recurring motif that you'll find if you have keen eyes. Uh, there was uh, numerous factories in the city for processing lumber, pigs, and booze. We made a lot of whiskey in this area. Is this episode 18? Okay. Ha! Oh, well. We'll just keep going. Um, I couldn't find a 17. Anyway, I'll get back to what I was talking about. So, um, yeah, we, we have a lot of whiskey made in this area. And Cincinnati also had a really robust passenger steamboat building market as well. So, for example, we have the Fulton Shipyards, which were located east of downtown across from Brooklyn, Kentucky. And they started working on the Moselle on December 1st, 1837, and they completed it on March 31st, 1838. This is important because the Moselle steamboat was only about a month old when it had a catastrophe on the Ohio River in front of Cincinnati. Uh, at the time, the Moselle was the peak of Western boat making and was the fastest and most lavish steamboat ever built. People would line up along the riverbank to watch it steam by because it was breaking records with its, uh, I want to say float times, but no, that's not right. With its times going between Cincinnati and different points of interest along the Ohio River. So for example, on his maiden voyage, she completed the run from Portsmouth, Ohio to Cincinnati, which is a 110 mile trip in seven hours and 54 minutes, which doesn't sound really fast to us nowadays because you can get up to Chicago within that amount of time from Cincinnati, but that it apparently took way longer. I couldn't get exact numbers, but that cut off the travel time by several hours. Uh, another example would be Cincinnati to St. Louis, which was a major commuting destination between the two cities. We've always been competitive. Hi there, Jen. Um, <laughs> it's from St. Louis. Um, this was completed in two days and 16 hours. It's a 750 mile trip down the river. And this cut off several hours from the round from the actual travel time for the river. So it was hailed as a wonderful advancement in steamboat and travel technology in America during that time. So in the evening of April 25th, 1838, the Moselle steamboat was waiting at the Cincinnati public landing, which is now look, well, what's located on top of it now is the Taylor Southgate Bridge. And uh, so just so you know where in the river it was located. Uh, while fan and it was waiting while families were boarding. Uh, the young owner and skipper of the boat, Captain Isaac Pirin, kept all four boilers filled with steam while the passengers loaded onto the steamboat. Uh, this was so that he could show off not only the quickest takeoff time from the dock, but he was also trying to catch up with another steamboat that had left from Cincinnati's port on its way to St. Louis just a few minutes prior. And this was the steamboat, the Benjamin Franklin. Um, so he was trying to catch up and overtake the Benjamin Franklin or the Ben Franklin steamer so that it can prove just how fast 
this mighty steamboat was. It was all bravado. So naturally curious, there was a bunch of spectators lined up along the riverbank to watch this boat leave. Keeping all four boilers full of steam, however, turned out to be very reckless. And as the Cincinnati Whig newspaper reported, and mind you, this is where we get a bit graphic. At the very moment, her wheels made the first evolution. Her boilers burst a most awful and astounding noise, equal to the most violent clap of thunder. The explosion was destructive and heartrending in the extreme. Heads, limbs, bodies, and blood were seen flying through the air in every direction, attended by the most horrid shrieks and groans from the wounded and the dying. So Captain Purin's mangled body flew from the boat onto the shoreline about 30 feet. Another poor soul who was in the front of the boat flew 100 feet into the air and went headfirst into somebody's roof and went through the house. That was not easy to clean up, I am sure. Those who weren't launched into the air by the catastrophic explosion tried to swim the 30 feet to shore. However, it was difficult with the amount of debris because it was a complete explosion, meaning the entire boat just disintegrated. And also, it started floating down river, pulling the people who had escaped from the boat with it. Um, so it made it about 100 yards down river before sinking. So in total, the accident, the boat went from being floating to exploding to sinking within 15 minutes. Um, out of the estimated official records of 250 people on board, 150 did perish. Some in, case, in some cases, entire families were eliminated that day. One account, and this is very sad, the accounts from the people that witnessed it. One account was from a young boy who managed to swim to shore to safety and watched his mother and sister struggle to break away from the wreckage and they eventually drowned in front of him. Uh, according to witnesses, most of the survivors were located below deck or in the back of the Moselle at the time of the explosion, where most of the victims gathered above deck and at the front of the boat. And although it was reported there were 250 passengers officially, it is suspected that the boat was overloaded with between 280 and 300 passengers, many of which had not registered their names on the manifest. So we actually don't have an accurate death count or survivor count because we don't know how many people were honestly on the boat that day. Thousands of people in Cincinnati, however, heard the explosion and ran to the riverbank to provide aid or gawk at the entire situation. Humans be human. The scene was horrific. About 20 to 30 severely injured people were pulled from the river. Their survivors who had made it to shore were looking for their family members. These are experts, ex excerpts taken from Lloyd Steamboat directly. Wow. Let me try that sentence again. These are excerpts taken from Lloyd Steamboat Directory and Disasters on the Western Waters, Cincinnati, Ohio, James T. Lloyd and Company, 1856. These are pages 89 through 93. Uh, fathers were... Dra <laughs> hmm. Sorry. Fathers were distractedly inquiring for children, children for parents, husbands for wives, and wives for each other. One man had saved a son but lost a wife and five children. Uh, a father 
partially demented by grief, lay with a wounded child on one side, his dead daughter on the other, and his expiring wife at his feet. One gentleman sought his wife and children who were as eagerly seeking him out in the same crowd they met and were reunited. And another description reads, a touching display of maternal affection was uh, evinced by a lady who on being brought to the shore, clasped her hands and exclaimed, thank God I am safe. But instantly recollecting herself, she ejaculated in a, that is what it says, ejaculated in a voice of piercing agony. Where is my child? The infant, which had also been saved, was brought to her and she fainted at the sight of it. It was estimated that 81 were killed, 55 were missing, and 13 were badly injured. And if you are curious, you can actually Google and find on steamboats.org and many of the other sites I had just listed at the preface that the different, the actual manifests of who died, who was injured, and who um, actually went missing. Uh, how, and they were from all over the Midwest. They weren't all from Cincinnati. There were a lot of people from Illinois and Indiana and Michigan and Wisconsin. So um, it wasn't just Cincinnatians who died that day. However, the Moselle tragedy would not be in vain. And this is where it's very, very interesting. The incident prompted national mourning, and it was reported all over, not just the United States, but it also made to continental Britain or continental Europe as well. And the Congress passed an 1830, the 1838 Act, which required inspections of steamboat boilers to ensure the safety of the passengers and the crew. This was the first federal regulation on private industry enacted for safety reasons and paved the way for consumer protection laws in the United States. Uh, and following up, and we have more about this in episode three, what happened to the bodies that rained upon Cincinnati? They were collected by Cincinnati residents and buried in a potter's field located at 12th and Elm Streets across from the Episcopal, Presbyterian, Episcopal and Presbyterian burial grounds and what we know today as the Cincinnati Music Hall and Washington Park. So if you take your dog to Washington Park's dog park, you are in fact treading on the old Episcopal and Presbyterian burial grounds. Um, so a lot of these ghosts are the first ones reported being witnessed around the over the Rhine neighborhood. Now, when Music Hall was built, uh, as well as Washington Park, these bones were all excavated and reburied at Spring Grove Cemetery. And they have a large... They don't call it a potter's field there, but that's where they're at now. So that is the story of the Moselle steam explosion of 1838. Thoughts? Comments? That's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that always the thing people are, people in business are trying to get rid of regulations. I mean, it's really wonderful that they actually did something legislatively to stop this from happening again you know wouldn't that be nice if that happened with other things yeah <laughs> so what i didn't note in that official or the original outline is that the cincinnati mayor the day after the accident made it a regulation in cincinnati for all the steamboats to be um in uh, inspected before taking off to prevent this from happening again and also 
I think something about the manifests, but I can't speak to that. Um, but definitely inspections on steamboats and their boilers before uh, passengers could set foot. So they were really proactive and Congress just took a few months later to get it enacted because it went nationwide. Steamboats were all over the Ohio River and Mississippi. Well, yeah. It was the main mode of transportation for a while there. Mm-hmm yeah um, so yeah that that one i feel really bad i have images in my head of everyone just being pulled out of the water right along um if you're in cincinnati now that area is actually where the um ice rink arena is and also the reds stadium along that riverbank so right now it is just concreted in and it's just a steep embankment of just concrete. But that used to be the Cincinnati, one of the Cincinnati ports, the public uh, port. And uh, that's where this disaster, everyone was pulled up onto that concrete area. So if you've run the flying pig, you have run over where this happened. Because that's part of the marathon route or any of the other marathon routes that go over using that, uh, was it Taylor Southgate bridge? You are mm-hmm. literally running on, on top of where that happened. How wow. often were these steamboat disasters? Because it, it wasn't just Cincinnati. I mean, um, like I mentioned, uh, when we did our uh, music hall show, uh, Kathy Weichman, who wrote Like a River, wrote about an explosion on the Missouri river uh that that had as many deaths as is the titanic i mean it was yeah so that was a cincinnati steamboat that also exploded then Mm -hmm. and that was union prisoners of war being brought back from confederate prison camps that exploded and killed over a thousand people um i don't remember that the name of that one there was also another notable um cincinnati steamboat that exploded and unfortunately, I didn't look too much into them because I was focused on both the, mm-hmm. is it the, not the Sockham, but sad. I, I have it. I have it. It's, let me listen again. Sachem. Sachem. I have Sachem. I, Sachem. Okay. Sachem. Yeah. I was so focused on the, the Sachem and the Moselle. I didn't really take a whole lot of notes about other steamboats, but I'm sure I know there's a bunch of maritime historians that have websites dedicated to it and go into even further detail. I went into as much detail as I thought our minds could handle on a Monday evening. Uh, No, I I think it's just interesting because, because it, 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 the, that these did make them have more regulation. I mean, it's it's you know that's always the argument about regulation because they say oh well if you regulate um you know that just hurts the businesses and people will self-regulate but when clearly not only were they not self-regulating he was like pushing it yeah and he was yeah it had it been just himself if he probably hadn't overloaded the boat Mm -hmm. he probably would have had more speed but he still turned on four boilers before taking off which i don't know the nitty-gritty of now how many boilers they had to have on maybe only two out of the four before Mm -hmm. making it down the river but it it shocked everyone it it was it was like whenever we see those terrible airline disasters 
like the Boeing ones that we just had a few years ago. Mm-hmm. That's the equivalency of it. And um, with the shock and just kind of disbelief that something so modern and supposed to be so progressive with helping transportation just exploded out of negligence on somebody's part. So, well, on that, yeah. Titan- oh, sorry, go on. Jen. No, go ahead. I was just going to say it, um, it just goes to show you our Jesus Christ regulations. Um, in my experience, people will take as much as they can. Mm-hmm. I, I know that's pessimistic of me, but if okay. no one's telling them no, or you can't do that, either they're going to do it anyway, or they won't. Yeah, it's. Yeah, you can, I was you not surprised. <laughs> no, it's no, fine. No, no, it's true. It's true. <laughs> It's true. Like, just like the people that ran to the riverbank to see what was happening. They didn't offer any aid. They just were like, (laughs) hey, look, people are slowly drowning. This is my Mm. entertainment for this week. That's, yeah. yeah, So, well, you know, and that's uh, the Titanic, if I'm not right, weren't they they showing off how fast it could go? And that's why they hit the iceberg so hard. Like, they were kind of trying to, I think they were trying to get there fast. I think that was part of it. Yeah, they're showing off how much power their boat that was unsinkable. And naming something unsinkable, too, is a bad plan because you know that you're just threatening the fates. Yeah. When you make that sort of declaration. Yeah. But Jen did find three of the illustrations from the Cincinnati Whig newspaper that show the Moselle before, during, and after the, the sinking. I'm not laughing out of haha, this is funny. I am laughing and this is disbelief because they included the bodies flying out of the boat, but they're all just stick figures. They don't, it, it's not graphic at all. But could you imagine just walking down the street, minding your own business, and all of a sudden you hear this noise and it's a dead body par- part just drops on your head or in front of you? Or the well, one that reminds that, me that of a story went through the house. Oh I actually have God. a story. I have a story. Oh, do tell. <laughs> so when I was in school, um, I watched an attempted suicide. So I was walking to my linguistics classes and they were located next to one of the tallest buildings at Indiana University's campus. And this kid, I do not know him, he broke through one of the safety windows on the top floor with a chair, crawled out onto the window, and then dropped from about at least seven stories. What saved him was the canopy that he went right into. Um, so I watched this man drop seven stories and into a rock-filled canopy and the rocks actually cushioned his fall so he survived broke both of his legs but i remember watching this happen and i just happened to look up to see what looked like i could see this chair fly out first and i was just like well that's strange why is there and then you see him go down and you're like oh no and ems every 
all emergency services were there very quickly, but the fellow students around, including some of my classmates who were in the same class as me, were just shaken up. We turned extremely pale and we were in shock and non-responsive the rest of that class. So no, mm -mm. that is terrifying. That's the second suicide attempt in my life I've witnessed. The other one was successful. (gasps) But that's a story for a different day. (laughs) I've seen a lot of death in my life for living the short amount of time. So I'm not bragging about this. This is me just realizing the mortality that I have. But uh, that is definitely a story for a different time. So (laughs) did I tell you guys this story? I've never seen someone like in person try to kill themselves or try to jump off a building, but I have seen the pictures of the aftermath. Mm. And there was one night, this is when I was still in the newsroom at the Enquirer, and one of our crime reporters just happened to have crime scene photos. How she got them, I do not know, of someone who jumped off Crew Tower. <gasps> And they hit halfway down on one of the, because, you know, the building is staggered on one of the lower roofs. And half of her stayed up there and the other half went down. Really? It, it, I, I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to see. Oh, no, I didn't want to see that. I didn't want to see that. <laughs> Did not want to see that. Because, no. you know, it's different when a photojournalist is standing on the street and looking up at somebody and they take a picture of them you know they're not like from top going down and when they hit they're not as close as a crime scene mm-hmm. photo so it was yeah i don't ever want to see that in person i never want to see a picture of that again and i learned my lesson <laughs> yeah that's that's a hard job to have yeah. being the people at the first at those scenes mm-hmm. um i can't imagine it Mm-mm. but so i tip my hat to anyone who does mm-hmm. that job first reporters responders, yeah first responders those that's you have hearts of gold and stomachs of iron because i feel sorry to. for that family too i know whomever that was it was a while ago it wasn't like I want to say the photos may have been from the 80s. It wasn't like recent when she showed them to me. But, you know, and I, you still could. I'm not going to say that. I mean, I don't think there are very many. I mean, the wall is pretty high up on Crew Tower. So you yeah, really I think have they've to got try. It but. Yeah, I I, I, it, it, it's, it's one of those things. Yeah, newsrooms get to see, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, then I told you about our suicide folder. Yes. Mm -hmm. I don't think you told our listeners about the suicide folder, but now you've just piqued everyone's curiosity. So um, I used to sit and go through the Enquirer archives and I would, my morbid curiosity uh, got the better of me one day and I wondered if there was a suicide folder because now we don't, we tend not to cover suicides because um, we don't want to give anyone who may be suffering an idea or some, 
to kind of repeat what they've seen in the news. So, but back in the day, they learned that the hard way because they would, every time someone would go stand on a bridge, there would be like a rash of people jumping off bridges or, and this folder, and it's not just local, it's with AP photos. It's all like, there were some from New York and some of them are just people that are talked off the ledge. And some of them are people standing on the roof that as they're falling and it, and then you're, they snapped a picture the moment they hit wow. and the aftermath. So, and they used to print that. I mean, they used to print the mop hit photos on the front wow. page of the newspaper. And it just, wh- whatever you think about criminals, I just don't think, I mean, there's still a human being like, and I don't know if that's just my visceral response at seeing a dead person. You know, that's how I reacted when I went to the body exhibit. It, mm-hmm. I'm like, that's a person. This makes me uncomfortable. I thought I could handle it. I cannot. So even if it's a person I despise, I don't still don't want to see them. Right. Because they were living or, and I don't want to see someone that has suffered in their life in that way, you mm-hmm. know? Well, you know, that's one so. way, you know, there's a lot of people that will talk about, say, the violence of society and stuff like that. And we actually, you know, in spite of all of these articles about mob hits and, and, and suicides and stuff, we actually are in a fairly sanitized time of history because mm-hmm. it used to be like people would go to watch public executions. That was what they went to see instead of, you know, the next Avengers movie or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. there's a really great uh, podcast that Dan Carlin did about, you know, the history of like, you know, execution and stuff like that and how it was like an entertainment people would tailgate at at you know uh, public yep. executions and even worse you know you had people that like in europe you would have you know and this is this is perhaps a trigger warning i mean they they would usually you know put parts of criminals like outside of towns mm-hmm. um yep. you know, i don't want to get too visceral about that but you know people got used to seeing this you'd see people's heads on pikes you know that was a real thing um you know unfortunately they don't only it's only fairly recently too like in the 20th century where people have gotten really sanitized news reports of how things are um and i know i naively lived most of my life without seeing what a dead body looked like until it literally hit me one day so um and then that changed my entire way of looking at life and mortality and really the meaning of people interacting with one another so well and seeing it out of context because if you walk into a hospital or a funeral home you're prepared you're prepared somewhat yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's different when i saw my dad die it was from fourth stage malignant melanoma wear sunscreen and hats people and uh that took four years and for that to progress to the point where he passed away via hospice but we were with him and prepared mentally for him to leave basically Mm -hmm. for him to pass on very different than seeing somebody jump off a building when you were just listening to the most recent 
pop music in your headphones and then suddenly you see this body hit an awning very different Mm. and i'm sure it was the same with the moselle where you're just having your daily actually it was evening so you're going to be having dinner around 5 p.m when it happened Mm -hmm. and so you're with your family or with your co-workers or your friends outside at a beer garden or enjoying an april day and then suddenly you hear this ear piercing explosion ear piercing explosion and just shrieking and moaning coming from the river and i mean cincinnati wasn't quiet back then because of all the manufacturing but people ran for blocks to go see and what happened Mm -hmm. so i suppose the equivalent now would be plane crashes like you think about lockerbie scotland where they had the plane that crashed yeah you know where you have you know bits of the fuselage going into people's houses and Mm -hmm. stuff like that yeah that's or even like the little airplanes that used to at the blue ash airport before it became a park um i think we had there was one of those planes crashed in blue ash like a little setna yeah like one of those Um, tiny like maybe mm -hmm. six to eight people Mm -hmm. yeah um one actually i want to say within the past 10 15 years i think but there was also one probably i can't remember the date but it's i mean it's happened like if you live near an airport that's possible i don't Mm -hmm. want to think about that too much because my brother-in-law's a pilot and i don't want him to yeah have you ever heard of anything around the river uh paranormal related to the moselle no it's it's all in where the uh potter's field was oh so everything's concentrated by music hall and yeah and uh so yeah i don't there aren't any ghost stories really along the river in cincinnati which is amazing like we talked about the mermaids of the ohio river but i haven't run into any ghost ships like what you would see in the great lakes or in an ocean um but yeah it seems the most celebrated passengers haunt uh 12th street elm street and that over the rhine neighborhood so that's a question i have and as a fan of the tv show supernatural may it rest (laughs) in peace it ended last year um they always like you know would salt and burn the bones or whatever that person had an attachment to so do you think that's true too for like a ghost like they're attached to where their bones or their body may be no (laughs) okay um uh, it okay so i see where they're coming from with that because there may be some religions folk or non-folk that believe if you take the remains and salt burn do things to them that it will he's the spirit and they can pass on so that idea of doing a ceremony to release a spirit from body parts that's been done before that's coming from an authentic place i don't think the way that it was written into the show was particularly authentic i know i have run into ghosts and locations where their bodies very clearly were not um you also have the idea of residual ghosts which are just kind of imprints through time at places if it was traumatic enough um trying to figure out the physics of that is still ongoing but people have seen like Anne Boleyn going through um 
to the Tower of London to Tower Hill where she was decapitated. And that's an anniversary thing. And they see her in all black and in her Tudor style dress. And she still has her head on in some cases. If you're more fantastic, she's (laughs) holding her head. And if you're some stories I read as a teenager, she's using her head as a bowling ball. But (laughs) that's, um, that's style. Yeah, that is style in that cap and everything. Wow. Um, So, yeah, it's, I don't think from my experience, and of course, this is just 15 years of paranormal investigations and research. um, No, ghosts don't have to be where their bodies are. Now, there are the idea of haunted items that people have uh, connections to John Zaffis immediately pops into everyone's head because of Haunted Collector. He's a wonderful guy, by the way. Um, and that it may be a little bit more true. I know um, personal experience. My mom was a big fan of ceramic cats, and she bought a gray ceramic cat from a garage sale and placed it in her laundry room, and it looked like her cat Gracie, which I've talked about in the last episode, and. This is not a ghost story I was going to share last week, but different one. Um, So for whatever reason, for that week we had this porcelain or cat figurine, um, ceramic cat figurine, all hell broke loose in this laundry room. Like it wasn't just like the laundry room. We had powder detergent was spread everywhere the cats did not clearly do it there were no paw prints things would go missing around the house and um we just kind of attributed it to there was some kind of spirit attached to it and then when we passed it on to somebody else suddenly all the supernatural phenomena stopped so i don't know what the trigger was like i don't know if somebody was with it it triggered paranormal activity in the already haunted house uh, I don't know what it was, but it could be that something was attached to it. And the idea of hexes or spells being attached to items is also not new and still practiced. So I think that's where they were coming from in Supernatural. Interesting. Yeah. Who got the who got the cat? Did you ever hear if they also experienced? I don't know who got the cat. I don't even know if anyone received it. Knowing my mom, she probably threw it in the trash bin and let it go. So, but um, it was a strange week and it's something, something was messing with the cats as well. They were acting very out of turn that week. So don't know what it was, but they, yeah, they wouldn't go anywhere near that laundry room. So, which was a problem because one of their litter boxes was in it. They're like, Aww. nope, we're not going to use it. It's bad. Yeah, so they, they <laughs> just bad juju do. in there. Yeah, there was yeah. bad juju. I mean, so. I mean that, that could be an, an interesting uh, topic of a, a show, even haunted objects and and yeah, what atta- what causes something to attach to something else and and that kind of thing. Um, you know, and we might Ooh. even get into it next week. We have some ghost hunters on. Yeah, we can ask uh, the ladies about that next week. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, just about their thoughts on haunted objects. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I Could mean, you imagine those ossuary churches, the amount of spirits that would be attached and haunting those locations with like the cathedrals made out of bone and all that? 
Yeah, I mean, there would be hot bopping places for the afterlife. Yeah, well, it's just where they go to meet each other. It's like a convention. and hang out in the afterlife, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> well, I thought I mean, it was Disney's haunted mansion. <laughs> oh. I mean, it, it, it's something interesting to talk about because, um, and and then you know what makes a spirit cling to these things or what makes them move on i mean like we've talked about um you know it seems like sometimes trauma will you know keep people there uh trauma will um from very recent experience with a family member with alzheimer's it's deep deep embedded memories and sentimentality i think doesn't get given enough um playtime or Mm -hmm. airtime with the idea of being stuck on something like sentimental value to people i think it's underrated and it's a main driver so in this case my family member will ask me about sentimental items and i have to make a checklist and say these are all okay take photos to reassure them that all these items are okay and i am sure i know i've run into people or ghosts spirits that have had uh, um mental uh i don't want to say mental problems because that shortens it so much well maybe Um, it's it could be the equivalent of like when you had a scratched record and it keeps repeating that scratch like it could be records are before your maybe in that case (laughs) but people are sentimental outside of alzheimer's and dementia Mm -hmm. so i think maybe that was the case with the porcelain cat that whomever owned it beforehand Mm -hmm. Because I could totally see my mom buying it from a estate sale. Was very attached to it. Like they played with it as a kid, or it had a lot of like memory to it, and so they just attached and piled around with it. Mm-hmm. So that I think is a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they imbued it with their own. Like they could have even cast a spell on it without even knowing. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I yeah. think there's a lot of. You know, and, and, you know, you talk about memory loss and stuff. I think there's a lot of over oversimplification in what happens, like things with Alzheimer's and dementia yeah. and that sort of thing, um, you know, because it doesn't, it's not like it's uh, a caricature of like no short term memory. There's a lot of other things at play. And I think there's other types of thought that they don't talk about as much, uh, such as, you know, my father had a lot of thought patterns that would become obsessive. Mm-hmm. so it's like it's almost like a loop it's 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 uh it's it's a, oh, yeah. a message and so your brain can't shake this 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 thought yeah and like so ocd yeah so they get obsessed by one thing and perhaps it's because so the breakage of of, of the 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 apparatus that that hosts you know thought um you know may it may maybe your short-term memories are gone but also it obsesses about certain things and like you said maybe certain objects or certain people or certain things mm-hmm. and mental illness on layered on top of already uh, cognitive illness like that like i have adhd if depression or anxiety gets layered on top of that then the brain even reacts in a different way that isn't mm-hmm. always um Oh, what's the word? Uh, not projected, but predictable. There we go. There's the P word that I was looking for. <laughs> so, and, and I think a lot, just like with 
crime history where we kind of forget about the victims or we sensationalize it and -hmm. forget they're a human definitely the same thing happens to ghost stories and the victims in those ghost stories we forget that they were people like all the victims of the Moselle. When I was doing research into it, there were people in forums who are descendants of the survivors of the Moselle talking about the stories that their families passed on. Which reminds me, we even got a commenter from somebody from Edith Klump's family on um, talking about how she is kind of perceived in their family and, and kind of what is it? They said the family gossip, like Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I don't no, have such an interesting, if you listen to that yeah. episode again please read the comment in in that episode mm-hmm. which is episode 15 or there's episode 15 yeah and i'm sorry we'll we haven't replied notes. to you yet but uh <laughs> we have seen your message um but yeah it, it's these were people they have family a lot of them are still alive and it isn't all just folklore because it, and this is where when people ask me on all the different press tours that I did, oh my goodness, I just made my sound self sound so gigantic. Um, like gigantic head cat. Mm. Um, <laughs> one of the it, people are like, are ghosts real? And I'm like, well, in which sense? Because these were people they have family members and to those family members these people are very real so i guess ghosts are real in this sense if you're looking at it as a purely entertainment sense then like if you're in supernatural oh no that's all fiction that's entertainment but when we're talking about ghost stories about people like amy of lick road which is an actual murder victim yeah she was very real Mm -hmm. and linda dyer so yeah that's always a really tricky question to answer to people in it that are interviewing me going are ghosts real yes yes they were they are real in people's memory well it seems like there's a lot of um understanding that could be had about i mean you know also what are we perceiving in the world i mean you know we see so little that you know we can't and anything that you look at that talks about expanded consciousness either like when you talk about people that work in hospices often uh the people right before they die start talking to family members to people that use uh, psychedelics like dmt or whatever and the second that they kind of take off there's beings around them saying oh we're so glad you're here mm-hmm. oh here comes yeah. one sulking cat <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's Conan. He's, like, he's like they've been abusing me <laughs> oh. yes, they, yes. they haven't been abusing him they've been giving no. him meds our yes, friendly but, but listeners in, in his in his in his <laughs> perception having to take medicine is not what he wants to do <laughs> yeah and there's miffy so if you're yeah. listening to us over um on itunes this is not great content the, the cat break after the soapbox we just got on but <laughs> yeah there cat, is miffy in the background all the time yes uh, and conan the yes kitten i'm waiting and for bob who no, reminds me of my old cat so Aww. do most hospice centers now have cats um you know comfort the dying patients 
I think I think it some of them will bring in comfort animals. I don't think that mm-hmm. a lot of times the staff wants to handle for a variety of reasons. I think that you know those people tend not to be paid enough as it is and having to tear their tenants as well as mm-hmm. um you know comfort animals but there are groups that um come in um and bring in dogs even i think my dad when he was in the nursing home they brought in a comfort horse oh wow and and they loved it uh you know um i think it's hard to you know have animals in those places because there's a lot of people allergic particularly Mm -hmm. cats but dogs and whatever didn't you say that your dog was a trained service dog Uh, yeah so wheatley is a trained therapy dog and Mm -hmm. like in cincinnati it used to be called delta dogs i believe they've changed their name since then but that was the service dog training group and you uh nursing homes assisted living centers i know cincinnati children's hospital would contact them and say hey we have a patient who would like a dog please come Mm -hmm. and we would go i never got to that point because wheatley developed cancer and which made him ineligible to do any of this right as he finished all of his training timing oh well we're we're trying once the pandemic ends we can take chewy to these trying to type of trainings and he's big and fluffy and very friendly so he'll probably do really well as a successor to wheatley but um the our dogs are great because they don't shed they have hair and they're very tactile so kids love petting them because they're big and fluffy like big cotton balls with tongues Mm-hmm. I, I think I think it's great people that have those service animals because it seems like there is you know uh, I, one thing we didn't really I, I guess maybe we touched on it last week is just how much you know our animal companions mean to us and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah although I can't see your faces right now because there is a cat in front of my screen so <laughs> <laughs> she, she she heard about Dude. this and she's like speaking of that I'm gonna be is it Miffy yes yes her, oh, oh no, there's her tail, tail. Yeah, so like, yeah, we're not doing good content right now, but you know, I've got an assistant here. Um, but uh, you know, I think that, and, and I think there is a lot to their spirits too. Like, they, they might even be part of the spirit group they talk about that you're with, you know. Oh, yes, yes, that's why I brought it up last week is the soul groups. Um, it isn't just humans, it could be animals that could be part of your soul group as well, which is why some psychics may believe may believe that uh you have particular animals that you get along with better than others because mm-hmm. you may be part of a soul group who gets along with snakes or something like that mm-hmm. or dogs mm-hmm. or all animals type of thing yeah it's really so, shall we move to the uss sachem oh yes please sure. yes oh we almost forgot we had the actual ghost ship of the title <laughs> of tonight's show all right so this one should be good for all audiences to listen to. So this is the tale of the U- USS Sachem, roughly 25 miles downstream of Cincinnati in a tiny tributary in Kentucky is a ghost ship. And this interesting ghost ship has had many titles. It has lived through so many things. And it is a shame that is just sitting there rusting away. And only kayakers can really access it. This is the story of the USS Sachem. So, originally launched in Wilmington, Delaware on April 12, 1902, 
The sachem, as we're calling her for most of this particular part, was a luxury pleasure yacht for a railroad mogul. At 186 feet, her original title was the Silt, and she was an opulent steam-powered boat who ferried the rich during the days during their days of play. And this would be through 1902 through 1914. At the change, there was a change of ownership where she got the name Sachem, and this is right before World War One. During World War One, the Sachem was commandeered by the U.S. Navy, renamed the USS Sachem, or also known as SP-192, and she went into combat actually as a searching vessel for German U-boats and submarines threatening the U.S. and British supply lines. So this was very much an East Coast yacht slash ship, and most of her service years were actually around New York, Connecticut, and along that East Coast shoreline. Interesting enough, Thomas Edison used the USS Sachem as a wartime lab for 10 weeks, um, working for U.S. forces in 1916. He was given a crew to man the ship, while his son Theodore and his wife Mina also joined him on the boat for those 10 weeks. Edison's main focus during this time was creating camouflage for protecting merchant vessels in the, in the ocean, um, as well as secret experiments along the coasts of New York, Sag Harbor, Florida, and the Caribbean. He worked on improving the searchlights so that you can see periscopes from the uh, enemy submarines, uh, smoke screens for evasion, and a collision mat, as it was called in his notes, to help torpedo ships return afloat, among other experiments of, for uh, a marine time invention. However, his time came to an end in 1918 with the Navy, when Edison lost funding and departed. It said that he kind of had a tumultuous relationship with the U.S. Navy, and after the war, this uh, Sachem was returned to her civilian owners. Uh, through the 1920s and 1930s, she was turned into a fishing vessel and basically worked off the coast of New York State. Um, she was pulled into service for the Second World War, where she was overhauled and given sonar, along with the new name, the USS Fenikite, which I really like that name. I think it's kind of fun to say. And she seems to have spent a majority of World War II looking for Japanese submarines like she did in World War I. She was a very speedy steamboat and in the Pacific Ocean. Once the war ended, she received an American campaign medal and along with two victory medals for her service from the Navy. Her name was changed back to the Sacum and uh, she was returned to her civilian owners once again. Her post-life war... Oh, sorry. There was the ADD and dyslexia just blah. <laughs> Her post-war life was in the service of a cruise line in New York City, where she received the name the Sightseer and later the Circle Line 5, which is still visible on her hull today, should you find her in that tributary in Kentucky. In 1986, she was purchased by a private owner, Robert Miller, and was used as a backdrop of one of my donna's songs papa don't preach now this is a blink and you miss it kind of cameo oh sorry what is it christina 
Oh, sorry. Uh, Fenakite is because uh, that is an interesting name, and it's kind of like a quartz crystal. So I looked it up, and it says that it's like long been associated with quartz, uh, apatite, and topaz. Oh, okay. It's it's long been known from the emerald and uh, uh, chrysoberyl mine on the Takavia stream near uh, in Russia. Ha. Huh. And now you know what a finikite is. It's still a cool name, though. So anyway, as I was saying, with the Sakem's, um, uh, oh man, she she's in the background for less than a second. I think it's at. I took a photo of it. It's around the one minute thirty six second mark. But yeah, her hull's in the in the. Um, background when she's chilling with her boyfriend in that music video and it was right after that music video she was actually moved to the tributary in kentucky and she's permanently moored there and is still there to this day uh the sacum is easiest to view if you use a kayak um if you go there however Remember, it is actually on private property and the boat itself is private property. So please don't go in it. Um, maybe just take photos from afar if you can do that. Uh, to go onto the property itself, if you wanted to walk, you would also be going onto private property. And we don't condone that. So please don't do that. There is actually a group trying to save the SACOM right now, the SACOM project. And they're found at uss-sacom.org. And they're currently raising funds to restore her. And I think, this is just my editorializing here, I think it would be really neat to restore her and permanently moor her in Newport. Because where I grew up, we had the USS Silversides, which was a Navy submarine. It's in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And you can actually tour it and do overnight stuff. Like when I was a Girl Scout, we did a lot of overnight tours up there. Yes, the USS Silversides is haunted. Yes, I have a ghost story associated with it. But I think it'd be really cool if we could do that to this boat as well. So that's just my two cents. But uh, that is the story of the USS Sacum. Yay! Yeah, much, much more pleasant tone. I find it amazing that she was Thomas Edison's lab, floating lab. Yeah, that's and pretty cool. I'm like, how is this boat just sitting in a tributary, rusting away with a history like that? There's so much. You got everything from like wartime mm. history. You can find a lot of information about her from uh, Navy websites, Navy history websites. And um, I actually do have some World War I photos of her and Thomas Edison with his crew that I found that I need to send over to Christina. So and the, oh, hmm? go on, sorry, finish your. Story. No, I just have the 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 one, the like the less than second cameo. I managed to watch the music video, freeze it, and get the photo of her behind Madonna. Oh, that's awesome! So I want to see that. So yeah. why was the Sachem considered a ghost ship? So she's considered a ghost ship because she's abandoned along uh, like the Ohio ship. River. Okay. Yeah, like a ghost town. It's not she's not haunted. I'm sorry everyone who got excited with that, but it's it's she's just a fan not even a phantom ship. You can Google her coordinates and it's on Atlas mm -hmm. Obscura, on Road Trippers, and she's even a pinned area on Google Maps. Oh wow. But 
like I said, she is private property, but a very popular photo destination for kayakers around the uh, Ohio River. Mm-hmm. She is kind of dangerous to get to, though. Apparently, you have to kayak up the Ohio River from a um, dock just down river of her, and you have to deal with the traffic of the Ohio River. And the Ohio River is still massively used by barges. So you have to be very careful when you go find her. Mm-hmm. Well, one day we'll be able to, well, maybe not that one because it's private property, but see more of these things and, and get pictures yeah. and, and that kind of thing. But that's, that's yeah, cool. this is unfortunately it's one of those locations I haven't been able to visit because I can't kayak. <laughs> well, I know it's never too late to learn. It's never I'm, too late to learn, but I, I, but I had, I learned about her because I have friends who do kayak as a hobby and they're like, Hey, cat, this was several years ago. Like, Hey, cat, did you know we found a ghost ship? It's in Kentucky. Do you want to hear about it? It's really creepy. And then they're like, it says it's the circle line five. And I'm like, that sounds like a convenience store title. That doesn't sound like a ship but then that's that's all they knew was that it was creepy and there's tons of photos that other people have Mm -hmm. taken i have to and and, you know uh talking about you know edison he was pretty unethical and he could be on some of those dark matters episodes from the science channel because he did some pretty uh creepy things Mm -hmm. yeah he did experimenting Um, electricity comes to mind Uh, yeah we like to probably Uh, electrocute things um, yeah yeah just to see what would happen um you know i'm not sure why he did it but it was pretty cruel yeah I, th- I, I don't know if he was just trying to show what the power of electricity did or I'm yeah i sure think that's what it was what did he do i actually don't know he actually electrocuted animals publicly you know showing what <laughs> current did and i know he at least did an elephant Oh, um, he was uh, no. There's there you Poor know thing. people seem not to worry about things like ethics sometimes back in the day. It well, really, you know, when this the sake is like... of science. Well, you know, people. <laughs> you know, it's funny because people always, you know, that I, I, I think when you talk about who writes history, and this could be a whole separate discussion, but I know we need to get to hometown haunts. But when you yeah. record history, a lot of people get upset when, like, say, a beloved character. I don't want to say character, a beloved historical figure like Edison or whatever, when it actually is revealed that they did some pretty awful things, people get all emotional and say, how could you speak about this person? You know, they did so many X, Y, and Z good things. How can you dare say that they did bad things too? And I think that that's what's coming to a head in a lot of history, that a lot of things, a lot of people that were kind of revered, their hit paths were also sanitized. You know, mm-hmm. you know, so some of the stuff that they did may not have been so nice or so good. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. Know, um, well, everybody does bad things. It's just the degree of bad, right? Uh, you know, I guess but how people look at stuff kind of changes too. Um, yeah. Too. Yeah. The, the main person I think of that is Thomas Jefferson. True. You're just, true. In American educational system, um, at least before, in indiana um (laughs) he's kind of praised as this great president and then as you learn more about the history about how he made his money and the slaves that he abused and also 
the anthropological works that he destroyed out of just pure creativity or curiosity and then never bothered really documenting much there's a lot of mounds just like serpent mound that he destroyed that was on his property um this is me smiling out of anger this is me <laughs> mad this is well, me going why this, this- but <laughs> um yeah it, it, he did some really disastrous things and as you get older and read about what he's done and what he destroyed and i'm sitting there not just objects but also people's lives and i'm just like wow why do we celebrate this man and people are complex and that's it because his his background was sanitized for the american education Mm -hmm. system I, i think i think that that's always the complicated thing is is you know I think people are, I, I mean, you hope that people are getting more advanced and that's why you don't see heads on pikes anymore and stuff like that. But we have a long way to go, you know, and, and, you know, seeing the stuff that he did, I think we shouldn't sanitize it. I think people should know, you know. Um, well, yeah. How else are we going to learn from our past? Well, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And, yeah. you know, the desecration of other cultures. I mean, that was, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. That happened a lot with Rome, where they just kind of, you know, would destroy people's cultural history and just say, well, they were barbarians. They didn't have anything special to offer when they destroyed many good cultures and interesting mm-hmm. cultures. I mean, it would be wonderful to know. And so, I mean, and there's a history of, of humans destroying other cultures. Um, yeah, the Spaniards yeah. taking out the Mayans and the Aztecs. And, oh, well, uh, and yeah. a lot of people of south and central america for example mm-hmm. yeah if you, anyone's been to albuquerque and you look at the native american cultural centers there um you know they basically built catholic churches over their kivas and forced them mm-hmm. to convert and they're still mm-hmm. mad and they should be bad you know that mm-hmm. was not they the have every right to be furious you know and so people you know again say well why can't we go back to simpler times when people didn't think like this and it's like that's the wrong way to look at it you know you need to realize and reckon with you know that there have been bad things and we can't close our eyes to it or the bad things happen again yeah it was simpler times for you but it was definitely not simpler times for everyone else who was the majority and yeah well and those things still happened then they were still Mm -hmm mental illness and murderers we just didn't know Mm -hmm. or it was we were able to keep better secrets who knows that's true that's true it's just yeah yeah like the axe murderers of the 19 teens Mm -hmm. where you just had different police departments that you had families like the Vilska axe murder that actually was so bad that took the titanic off the front page and that may have been actually part of a different series of axe murders perpetuated by the same guy or similar people for that i say go listen to american hauntings by troy taylor that's a wonderful podcast go listen to it hi troy (laughs) (laughs) all right uh well this has been an interesting Mm -hmm. discussion are we ready for the namesake of this podcast hometown hometown haunts do you want to read anonymous yes i can read anonymous and then Um, i got my friend Katie's. All right. Um, yeah, this is from Anonymous. Um, and uh, I thought this was a really interesting story. So a few things have happened in my mom's house, actually, from a vacuum turning on in the basement that wasn't plugged in to some weird stuff happening to my sisters after they played with a spirit board. When I was really little, 
I used to get scared of the closet in my mom's room. She and my sisters said I used to complain about there being a fat lady in the closet. This wasn't a walk-in, but kind of a small broom closet, even though it was kind of a master bedroom in, a, in the master bedroom. The house was pretty old. We found a foundation stone in the basement that placed it in the late 1700s. I was terrified of the fat lady in the closet. And of course, my older sisters loved shoving me in there with the lights off from time to time. Well, flash forward to my late teens, early 20s. I don't remember why, but for some reason, I was doing research on the town. Our house was pretty close to the downtown area, and I remember getting an old pack of postcards that showed what the area was like within the first five miles of the house. There was the train that went to Chicago, some trolleys that crisscrossed the downtown area, a couple of shops along the river, and there was a watch factory that was turned into a munitions factory for World War II for a bit, and a lot of butchers and the like. It turns out that some of the houses and the inns were around our neighborhood. The house across from us and on the corner was an old carriage house. It was thought that some of the homes across and around the area were inns and tap houses, or even barracks for the rail company workers. I don't think we ever found out for sure what the house used to be. Likely our home was built over an existing home, but the foundation was kept intact. But I do remember coming across information, maybe via microfiche, that the buildings across the, from the carriage house, ours and the neighbor's house, had not only burned down at some point, but there had been a death there, a middle-aged woman who had been found hanging in one of the rooms. It was the fat lady I used to see in the closet as the kid. I remember it really freaked me out in a way I hadn't felt since I was a kid. I just think it grew out over time and I forgot about it. I didn't even remember until I shared this info with my mom. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, oh, go on, Jen. I was just going to say, it's kind of happy that they uh, found found an answer. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. That's true. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder gets... how many of those places were brothels. Mm. Oh, you know, that's a good point. I didn't think about yeah. that. And the yeah, house it, probably it, was it... built over something else. Oh, yeah, most likely. Um, there's so many houses uh, that that's the case. I mean, if the foundation was good, it helped cost save to be able to just to build a house on top of old, ow, old foundation. As I smack myself on the table. One thing that's interesting is finding these postcards that uh, she mentioned. Is that ever like a, an outreach from that spirit? That seems very coincidental that you would find a photo of somebody that you used to see in your closet all the time. Could that it have could. Been- I, I don't know did she mention how she found them she just mentioned that she found them uh she said their house was close to the downtown area and they found an old pass she doesn't say if she remembered getting an old pack of postcards um it depends on like the situation in which she found them was she just happenstance passing by did they show up on a counter like questions about that um i've heard stories about especially from the crump theater in columbus indiana uh, their documents for their boiler showed up in the middle of the stage after the manager had been looking for them for a few days because they needed to replace the boiler so objects apporting like that um just appearing like that is quite quite common and classic ghost behavior but i don't know if the postcards did that Mm-hmm. it's an interesting i'll have to ask for a little bit of clarification on that because that was very interesting yeah 
So our next haunted um, hometown haunt story is shared from Katie from Indiana. And she notes that this happened in Gettysburg Battlefield, Sierra 2003 to 2007. And Katie wrote, we had gone there with my dad, my stepmother, my sister, and me. We had spent basically an entire week at the battlefields and gone just about everywhere. My dad wanted to check out Devil's Den area where there was fighting. Devil's Den is really hilly and rocky area with giant boulders and crags. After the battle, the fallen soldiers were just tossed, some of them into the crevices between the boulders. My stepmother was the kind of person who would walk 50 miles a day, and if she could, she was all for walking around the battlefield. My, and my dad wanted to read the different plaques and had set up that were set up at different spots. Me being a teenager, I was at the time I was at the time refused to go walking around in the sun and staring at nothing. So I told my dad I'd stay near the beginning of the trail and just hang out on a boulder. I picked a nice big one just to people watch. So I'm sitting there minding my own business when I hear this deep, scruffy voice behind me say, Lady, did you get left behind? I turn around to explain that I was just waiting for my family. Nope, nobody there. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm about six feet up on this darn boulder. There can't be anyone right behind me talking. There was nobody there. Nobody is close by. My family was all the way across the field. Nobody probably within 100 yards of me at this point. And I can still hear the gruff, gravelly voice. Of course, everyone thought I was crazy, but that's one of my favorite personal experiences, not at an active investigation. Thank you, Katie. That's a wonderful story. That's cool. You got Jen all excited. I would probably jump off the boulder and break a leg. Oh, don't do that. No, 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 no. If if I heard that, that would have scared the ever-living life out of me. Yeah. Or maybe it sounded like a soldier just wanted to mess with her. Yeah, it's (laughs) so I've been to Devil's Den. I have Mm -hmm. a ghost story to share from there. Um, There's a lot from my times at Gettysburg. So for those who don't know, and maybe I can provide some photos for the YouTube channel and post them on our website as well. We now have a website, by the way. Um, Devil's Den is a craggy rock formation that those boulders are easily one story high. So if you jumped off of them, you would be breaking more than just your legs. Okay. And and there was also i believe it was a union sharpshooter that was based not too far away from that targeting confederate troops in the triangular field which is across uh, uh, 200 300 yards away and so i'm there at gettysburg now mind you at the time when i was there i was not well versed in gettysburg military history military history is something i'm personally very poor at i don't know that very well and um but i'm with some of my friends who are reenactors for the union army and uh, and they're big historians and they're telling me everything but i'm just walking around devil's den and i look down and staring up from in the cracks there is a union soldier who is maybe 17 
His eyes have milked glazed over because he's been dead long enough, but they were blue eyes and he had blonde hair and his hat had fallen off of his head, but was laying on another soldier that he had been put on top of. So I had this dead body looking up at me from one of these cracks. And I just remember going, oh, and I turned to my friend, Pat, who is a historian, and I go, were there dead bodies here at some point? And he's like, oh, yeah, Cat, this is where they put all the dead bodies after one of the fights on this day, blah, blah, blah. And he goes off to explain it. I'm like, And I look through and there was no one there. It, it's been the park service keeps it really clean. There's no litter or anything in these boulders. So it was a really weird thing image to just look down and see this dead body staring back up at you who was a few hours dead if i know my autopsies right at corpse time but yeah that was really startling so katie sent me this story and i was just like oh yeah like that th- there's a lot of activity around devil's den paranormal activity and uh yeah so- and then also katie's a really good investigator as well in that moment, when you see that, when you're not expecting it, what do you, are, do you just kind of freeze or do you're like, how do you make sense of that? So initially I would have panicked, but by this point I was older and more trained. So okay. trying to train that flight instinct out and instead of fighting, train it to be inquisitive So I just remember stopping and freezing for my safety, because if I had actually tried to run away, I would have fallen off and hurt myself. So I remember just freezing and just going, there's a body there. And I remember actually getting closer to look at it because I'm like, there's a body here and I can see his big blue eyes staring at me as they're slowly getting milky as the life drains out of them. And uh And then somebody, of course, like I, I go and say to Pat and I look away. Then when I look back, it's gone. And then some teenagers ran through the tunnel passage <laughs> that, that there is there. So then suddenly there was wow. living people. And I was just like, oh. And then another vision I had, these same teenagers were running over piles of corpses. And as they were hitting the bodies, you could see the arms of the corpses or the legs of the corpses kind of pop up from the impact of these kids running it was very surreal and i was just like what what is happening how long have you been Mm -hmm. sensitive in this way oh goodness oh easily since i was three i remember seeing things um oh around bedroom windows when i lived in detroit um and then definitely creepy creepers looking in at you well, I was on the second story, oh, so um, it always I always keep my windows closed, like the blinds and everything, because it that was a weird story. But I was really young, so I'm not completely certain if that was real. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you that, but definitely, I've had been visited and I've had experiences since I was in elementary school, and that prompted me. I would share my stories with my friends on the place play yard and they were like oh that's really cool let me share you share stories that happened at our families and then we started swapping ghost stories so i think that's actually how i got interested in haunted history to begin with Mm -hmm. so you're looking at like eight years old 
easy and i'm dyslexic and keeping my attention on reading anything um just to learn language skills um i discovered that i really liked haunted history books so the first book i ever got was haunted ohio and it is by chris woodyard and i bought it in a bookstore in ashtabula ohio when my when we were visiting and um yeah, that, that got me. I was so interested in all the different stories that I kept reading. And then it was actually the first book in my entire life I had finished that was actual, That's just awesome. all written prose, not like a comic book or a, any type of thing like that. So while my friends all read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I was reading about haunted Ohio history. Nice. I confess I would have been reading Hitchhiker's Guide. I only read things that had dragons in them or witches or, you know, stuff like that as a kid. I, that that came later when I got more proficient in reading. But what got me reading was really this history. So that's why I'm really big into haunted history, telling mm-hmm. the true story behind these stories. But I'm, and also, I'm fascinated by these experiences, though, because that's not something well, yeah. everybody has. I mean, I... Mm-mm don't see people that aren't there and yeah i wish i did but i don't i never have nope nope Mm -mm. yeah yeah and it's (laughs) it's fun telling these stories i'm a decent storyteller um but also these are all personal experiences and you haven't had them so i do my best to describe what i'm seeing but yeah it's one reason why i'm into the paranormal like as a paranormal investigator is these are encounters that i've had but these are personal so I don't know if I can ever show like a scientist, like a physicist or a psychologist what's happening. Um, and trying to prove that is very difficult. So in my case, I'm just like, okay, it's not going to be provable in a lab. It's not going to be easily provable in the field like it will, an anthropologist would do. So I'll just participant observe everything, write down what I see, and then just in case anybody else finds anything that can link it, these stories are archived. So Mm -hmm. me being the photo person that I am, do you think if you wore like a body cam, you would be able to catch something? Probably not. They just don't show up on film or they could film. So that's a, that's an entire science and art that I'm not really great with photography Mm -hmm. and film. Mm So I'm not the person to ask about that. Um, in a more metaphysical sense, it's my third eye that's able to catch these things. Right. And not all of them are like that. Like I've had deathbed apparitions of friends of mine that I, I know we're going to get a little off topic and we're getting a little long here, but I'll share this story. I'm not sure if I have before on here. So um I, my senior year of high school, I had a friend drown in Lake Michigan and another friend kill himself in the same day. And uh, that was very hard because my friend who had drowned was a elementary school friend and I had known him for easily over 10 years. And since he was also in music activities as I was after school, I would take him home a lot. So it was rather rocking to discover that he had died. He died in a very valiant way. He went to go save a girl he had a crush on because she got caught by the undertow. He rescued her, but couldn't rescue himself. And he was found a mile north of where he went in. 
about three days later. And uh, that was very hard. And so I, I knew him. Um, at that time, I had already kind of built my spiritual beliefs of there is an afterlife. Seeing the dead is something common for me. Go, um, so I probably will encounter him at some point. But a lot of people from different backgrounds don't necessarily have those same beliefs or experiences. And they took it very, very hard. And that same time, like I said, I was in a band and our friend, um, not only was I in the school band, but I was also in a bunch of friends that we, we had guitars and we would rock out sometimes. We were terrible, absolutely terrible. But um, he would come in from time to time and assist our bass player. And she was very close to both my friend who had passed away drowning and him, our bass player friend, who also played bass and guitar for the uh, jazz band and the pep band. So they both died the same weekend. It was very, very hard. They could not have lived more different lives. So if you can imagine my friend who passed away uh, in, in Lake Michigan, he was the gap wearing kind khaki pants. He had um, very straight laced mid aughts looking guy um, with the plaid shirts that were always left open and you would have like a solid shirt underneath that was him and then our friend that was in the rock band wore rave wear so he had the gigantic pants the black pants with the mini belts mm -hmm. and the mini chains and he usually wore a tank top with fishnet over it and spiked up his hair and had many 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 ear piercings so um very different lives very different interests so senior year of high school, I'm sitting down, it's 10 p.m. I'm working on my Japanese homework for the next day. And I look up and standing at the end of my bed is both of my friends. And they're wearing exactly what I just described to you, but in white in shades of khaki, which was hilarious. I remember my friend who played bass, I'm seeing him wear the tank top and the gigantic cargo pants but they're all white and then he has like this slightly cream colored fishnet and i'm like that is the least punk thing i have ever freaking seen like it looked like wedding attire <laughs> like punk rave wedding attire <laughs> and then he had all of his piercings in so i'm staring there and trying not to laugh because i'm just seeing my two friends who have deceased um, and they just turn to me and they say, tell Erica we're okay. And I'm like, what the bloody fuck does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'll tell Erica. And at the time I did not know Erica very well. She was in my friend's circle, but we orbited in different sides of it. And we, we shared an earth-based science class, but we weren't close. And I'm like, okay um i'll tell her that and they're like thank you and then they just disappeared and i was like okay well this is a new experience um by this time i've had multiple experiences with unexplainable things so just took this in stride so the next day i go to class earth space science was the first class i had that day and i go up to erica and i go this is going to sound really weird but um 
our mutual friends came up to me and said, we're doing, tell Erica we're doing okay. And she just broke down crying and she hugged me. And um, it was exactly what she needed to hear because she was very worried about them uh, because of her religious background. And um, I was like, no, they're fine. I explained how they were dressed and that they looked like they were in a white light and they looked like they had passed on without any issue. They, They got through the pearly gates just fine and were just like, we're concerned about Erica. Let her know about this and moved on and it gave her a lot of relief and that's how we became good friends (laughs) and erica and i still talk to each other actually i was talking to her talking to her before the show um yeah oh yeah she'll probably listen and go really you shared that story cat but um yeah that's a very sweet and touching story yeah and the comforting high school story for so many yeah it is it is and so yeah it it, i like the story it's seared into my brain and um yeah it's very comforting it's this is what a lot of ghost stories really are they're comforting stories they're not scary not hollywood eyes like that and uh, because we're, we're all human um personally just I believe that your family members can come see you again without issue. Um, Similar coattailing off of that. One Thanksgiving, my dad showed up at the Thanksgiving day table dressed just like I described my other friends. He was wearing shades of white and cream, but here's the great thing. He looked like he was 40 years younger and he was wearing the great 1990s workman attire, like business salesman attire. So he had this stupid polo shirt with the stupid collar and in the, the pocket. And then he had pleated khaki pants that were too big for him. And one of those stupid little woven belts. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, Dad, like if you're going to show up, dress better. <laughs> stood up he was behind my mom and uh it was basically just and the interesting thing with that encounter was the candle that we had lit on the table now mind you we're not summoning anyone we're eating turkey dinner like there's nothing occult happening this is the most american apple pie thing that could be happening and um the candle that was burning and in one in the centerpieces they just they had been the normal burning like one inch flame. They suddenly went up to three inches Whoa. when my dad showed up and my mother-in-law noticed this and she's just like, cat, cat. Cause she's a big believer in the, this, in the paranormal and the supernatural. She's a huge supernatural fan. I like um, her. Just like you, Jen. <laughs> and she was, po- she's like, cat, cat, do you see this? And I'm like, yeah, dad's here. And, um, she she was like and she was really impressed like she's like why did he come by and i'm like it's thanksgiving families together he's gonna pop in during that time so that's why i think christmas ghost stories were really popular in the previous centuries because family was together this is when your loved ones are going to visit you Mm -hmm. wow well on that note we probably should wrap it up uh yeah we've been on for a while (laughs) 
Yeah, we're going to start just having two-hour episodes. But this has been really oh, interesting, no. and there's a lot of stuff we could well, we could talk for hours every time we mm-hmm. do this. But yeah, yeah that's um, true. You know, we do. We- <laughs> we we don't want to we're, we're trying to make it out hour hour and a half but this is gonna be longer than that um, can you imagine once we can all get together and do these live in a room yeah that'll, that'll be, be great yeah, yeah be Kat, i've never seen you in person nope <laughs> nope <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah for our listeners jen and i have never met in person <laughs> so yeah, so uh yeah have to do a live show one day like that i'm extremely underwhelming <laughs> well you know no, I, you're not you're extremely fascinating <laughs> yeah, I, I mean i'm fascinated by you know your your ability to see because I, I i do think you know that that there are some you know things that rotate each other and kind of mm-hmm. protect each other and stuff and even if you can't see it it's there i mean i think yeah. that there's just something that obscures possibly by necessity mm-hmm. there's the reason yeah things are obscured yeah i don't go out looking for it either by the way like when ghosts come up to me i'm just like oh hey it's just like another person just walks into the room so see i like hearing your stories Mm -hmm. because i believe you and i believe those stories oh thank you but i don't ever want to experience that myself (laughs) that's fine fun to have that little removed I can still pretend it's not real. <laughs> and this is why, my friends, everyone puts me in the front during haunted house attractions. They're just like, nothing's going to bother Kat. She experiences this on a daily basis. But yeah, uh, that's fine. And I guarantee you, with an attitude like that, Jen, they're never coming to you. Great. <laughs> yeah, they're, I am they're always never. the first person in haunted houses, too. That I don't mind. I don't like being in the back. I don't want. I know why they like putting you in the front. You're so (laughs) animated. (laughs) Oh, I had one. I went. One friend of mine. We went to Halloween Haunt, and those are not scary, but she was scared, and was fine. And she was right behind me, and she somebody jumped out at her, and she just grabbed my tits. (laughs) I'm sorry, my boobs. And I had just met this girl (laughs) that night, and I'm like okay this is how it's going it's fine i don't feel molested but try not to do that again <laughs> she's like i'm oh, sorry i'm like well you know they're big they're there they you know you gotta have something to grab onto I... are you also short like i am no i'm five seven. Oh. Five eight. i'm a little round in the middle <laughs> but i've got big boobs <laughs> which are always there and now that i'm older they're a pain in the butt because they're saggy and i want to cut them off because they annoy me <laughs> but i don't want to have elective surgery because you know right mm. yeah that's a pain so now i'm in the search for the perfect bra to wear while i go out mm-hmm. just you know so they don't I mean, I've always had that problem. Any, you know, they bounce. I'm sorry. So you'd you be super underwhelmed. No, it, it's I'm five foot two. So I'm like, and man, that'll be fun when we meet. <laughs> yeah. Tiny. 
I'm old, I'm tall, and I'm fat and flabby. Because <laughs> I do nothing but sit on my ass. <laughs> That's everyone now. <laughs> yeah, I, I was saying, I, need to, I wish I could get out and walk more. I feel like I need to do something. and But now, of course, it's sleeting out. You're not going to be able to go out. Yeah, it's... I, mean, I, can hardly oh, I, I have three and dogs, and I have to summon the willpower to go. Yeah walk them i'm just like i have a treadmill in the basement that sits there and collects dust it's a good place for the cat to sit yeah she doesn't it's too Mm. hard for her she prefers the pillows and Mm -hmm. to take up my entire bed Mm -hmm. Mm, because it's hers of course of course Mm -hmm. everything's Mm -hmm. hers yes but anyway well um let's until next week yeah Uh, until next week we got we got we got the ladies we got some ghost hunter ladies on Yes, next week's a really exciting episode. Yeah, so. we'll be talking more shop like this, get more ghost stories, which will be wonderful. And also, if you have your own ghost story that you would like us to read on air, you can email them over to us at cincycuriosities at gmail.com. And one of us beautiful ladies, beautiful round big boob ladies, will read it on air. So... I'm Kat Cloco. We have Jan Kohler and Christina Wald and sometimes Conan the cat in the background. Have a great night and stay spooky, everyone. <laughs>